0: Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Alex Mason, and my role at CM Industrial is to specialise in recruitment for the water and wastewater industry. There's growing awareness about how we use and reuse water. For example, even some of my friends from outside the water industry were talking about the recent Netflix documentary, Brave Blue World. I'm not surprised, it was great, and it opened people's eyes to innovations that could help us build a future for sustainable water. In the documentary, I was particularly inspired by one man, Frank Regala. Frank is the Director of Innovation and Technology at Aqualia, a Spanish company that provides water services for over 20 million people. Frank and his team have found a way to produce biogas from wastewater. The potential of this energy source is enormous, so to learn more, I invited him on to CM Conversations. In this episode, I talked to Frank about the important work he's involved in with Aqualia, the value of wastewater, and how we can build a future for sustainable water. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. So today on CM Conversations, we have Frank Regala here from Aqualia. He is the Director of Technology uh, based in Spain, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit about what they're doing with wastewater, a little bit about what Aqualia does more generally, and his recent feature in Netflix, his documentary Brave Blue World. So. Thank you for joining us today. And if you'd be able to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your over 25 years in the global water sector and um, what you're doing with
1: Aqualia. Great, Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Aqualia is an operator of public services. We supply drinking water and wastewater services to about 25 million people in 20 countries. And obviously our ambition is to make that service sustainable and competitive, as we are a private company that the mayor can choose or not to renew the contract. I myself, as a director of innovation, am responsible to finding new and better solutions that we can propose to the mayors that hire us and make the services more efficient and and more sustainable, uh, hopefully mm, reducing the energy bill and the carbon footprint of our activities. And you mentioned one example that we developed, which is uh, a project we called All Gas, because it's based on algae, which in Spanish you would pronounce all gas, and it also converts wastewater to gas, which is of course an energy source that can even fuel your car. In Spain, we have about 1,500 garbage trucks in the big cities that work exclusively on gas. Uh, That gas can come from fossil sources from Algeria, from Norway, from Russia, or it can be produced by waste. You can ferment waste to produce biogas and biomethane, which chemically is the same as natural gas that you will find in the soil. And what I'm always saying is the algae that were put to the bottom of the ocean a thousand years ago, or thousands of years ago, is obviously the Mm -hmm. mineral oil you will draw out today out of the desert but we can do the same thing without waiting for thousands of years and do it directly in our backyard or in our wastewater treatment plant convert waste material to methane and uh, algae help us in that because algae clean the wastewater and algae grow very fast and only need a little bit of light and some of the nutrients and the substances we have in the wastewater to grow and then all we need to do is harvest this biomass from the water the algae and convert it into methane, which again is a very common, very simple process that we use in wastewater treatment plants or even in municipal solid waste treatment plants, you can convert any organic matter into methane in a rather simple, compact process. And then all you need to do is is clean the methane to a standard that would be compatible with cars. There's a number of of manufacturers that offer gas-driven cars the Italian ones particularly because in Italy that has been around for a long, long time, that cars are driven by methane, but also the Volkswagen group and each of their brands has a few gas driven vehicles. So it's rather easy to use that methane and drive vehicles. Yeah. and Since we do have a number of fleets in our services, Mm. uh, we can fuel our own cars with our own, Biomass that we grow from the wastewater.
0: Absolutely, I mean that—that that was the you know, topic of discussion on on, on the documentary. Um, you know, only relatively briefly, of course. But you know, I know this is not the only thing that you're doing with wastewater. You know, you are working towards you know reducing waste, reducing you know unnecessary waste, and actually utilizing what is a you know naturally occurring resource. From wastewater to be used in all manner of things. So I'm sure there's, as you told me before, there is, there's other things that you're doing with wastewater as well, isn't
1: it? Of course, our dream is to take the concept of waste out of the wastewater to find a new word. Like in Singapore, they call it new water. Other people call it rewater. I mean, wastewater is, is not the waste. It is full of resources. Uh, the energy as we showed by growing algae and fueling cars with wastewater, but also nutrients. You can make nice fertilizer out of the phosphorus and the nitrogen that you have in the wastewater from our own uh, daily uh, waste that we produce. And even we go all the way to saltwater desalination where we can actually harvest the salt and make some byproducts out of the brine. So all that is the same idea of a circular economy, which the EU is now promoting very actively And obviously, we're trying to uh, uh, harvest all the resources that we can out of the streams that we handle. Um, And for instance, one very elegant project we just finished was called MEDES for microbial desalination, where we could show that even desalination can be done without external energy input, only using the organic energy that bacteria can harvest. So you had, you have, we developed a system that we call a microbial desalination cell. On the one hand, we put seawater into it. On the other one hand, we put wastewater into it. And out comes some reuse water from the wastewater being purified and desalinated water from the salt having migrated by the action of uh, the bacteria that can move the salts without pressure and without electricity. So that's another example how you can actually use the wastewater energy to do something useful in our own industry to drive out salts from the seawater.
0: Of course, with, with um, the global water sector, you know, the, the needs and the uses in say the UK or in the US or even certain areas of the US are completely different to what they would be in the Middle East or in Singapore, uh, Africa, you know, the, these different areas have their own water challenges. Um, We we featured an article, you know, a little while ago with discussing the need for water and wastewater reuse in areas that are very arid, as an example, that you are struggling for water. And and of course, in other areas, you have high waste that's not being treated. Um, So do you find that you are tailoring these different solutions for different areas of the globe or do you find that they can all be utilized in, in all different areas?
1: Well, of course, the situation is a little different depending on the climate, depending on the geography. But the challenge is always the same, to to reduce the carbon footprint. And, and, and the traditional way we have dealt with water is rather wasteful because we pump water from far away into the cities. And we use 90% of it just to flush out our waste. Uh, it's obviously a very big effort to make this pure water that we bring from far away into the cities. And it's had to mostly use it only as a flushing liquid. Um, And therefore, you could reorganize somewhat your infrastructure by saying, well, what is the water really being used for? You don't need the same quality to feed babies than to wash a car. But today, we have all our water treated to a standard where we can feed babies. Whereas, as I said before, only 10% maybe is really used for drinking or for equivalent quality uh, uses like washing your dishes. But most of it doesn't need to have as high as as standard if you use it only to wash or to flush or to irrigate. And I think that's where we we, we can do some new approaches because the problem with water reuse traditionally is that the water reuse plant, the wastewater treatment plant is again far away from the user it's 10 15 20 kilometers out of the city and therefore it will be very hard to bring that water back to the user because most of the cost is the infrastructure the pumping the pipelines Uh, therefore we're thinking about more decentralized models where you can segregate your streams you can have yellow water gray water black water and uh, obviously some of them are easier to reuse uh, locally to give an example in 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 the big city of japan Every big building has actually a reuse plant where they use grey water for toilet flushing. And we have had similar examples in Spain. We're working on a project in Vigo where we do that same thing to recover grey water and use it for toilet flushing and then use the toilet water for irrigation once we have treated it to a sufficient standard. Because that's another irony that we don't use the nutrients. We are obligated to take it out in traditional wastewater treatment, whereas 80% of the reuse needs is agriculture. And therefore the nutrients in the water would already be a fertilizer for our farmers rather than taking the nutrients out and then have the farmer buy artificial fertilizer.
0: And as a company that provide infrastructure and operate infrastructure, um, you know, these projects and for cities, for municipalities, do you now, you know, in in the modern age, are you trying to, you know, develop and, work on projects that have this reuse focus? So when you, you're pitching to municipalities, you're working with them, are you trying to really integrate this more modern, decentralised uh, attitude to the projects compared to the traditional you know, method? Or are you almost forced to the old-fashioned way um, in, in some areas?
1: Well, you're right. You need, of course, a lot of support from the users, from the administrations to change the ways we are operating. In Spain, we do have water shortage in, in various regions, whether it's the eastern part around Valencia, or the coast uh, along the Mediterranean, or in the southern part, uh, Andalusia. Uh, and therefore, there are some policies in place to to favor reuse, um, whereas you, and of course, in the Middle East is the similar, that you have a lot of arid areas that would uh, be natural, applications for reuse, but then you find barriers, for instance, in the Middle East that some religious considerations don't really allow uh, the reuse of waste, and therefore you can have these both administrative limitations that a EU EU guideline uh, obligates you to remove nutrients when in fact it's a valuable resource, or you have other social obstacles to some of the reuse uh, applications. So we need to adapt in each case to local regulations and work with the politicians to adapt them to a more sustainable system, or work of course with the um, users to make sure that they are not uh, feeling neglected by some of the ideas we're, we're bringing. So of course, reuse in industry, therefore would be much easier in the Middle East than reuse for domestic purposes. I, I, I've done a little
0: work on Wastewater reuse in the past. Um, One thing that, you know, always came up as a barrier to, especially if you look at it in the sense of direct potable reuse, um, rather than maybe indirect, um, is the sort of ick factor. The consumer knowing that the water has never gone back into the general water system back around again you know it, it, it's almost thinking that it wasn't the toilet and it's only gone through a treatment plan and it's back in your in your tap as it were is this something that for you you know knowing that it's it's fine and it's completely safe to drink and etc cetera, etc cetera, do you find yourselves coming up against that consumer Skepticism, is that something that you put time into maybe trying to abate? What's your, what's your thoughts in that point?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the big slogan we fear, the toilet to tap uh, shortcut, that uh, people like to polem- polemicize, or how do you say that? <laughs> over, um, but, uh, And therefore, we understand that obviously it's not an easy uh, connection. And that's why I'm saying it's easy to categorize the water uses and say some of the uses is potable high quality and of course that needs to be taken care of in a different way than water that is being used for car washing or, or less noble applications. And that's why I'm thinking about this menu of water uses and tailoring the quality to the real need. Um, but that definitely would change quite a bit the, the economics of the water system because we don't have to supply 200 liters of ultra pure water for every person, or maybe 150, depending on where you are, when only 10% of that is really needed at the high quality level.
0: Mm. Of course, um, me not, uh, sadly not being an engineer um, like yourself, um, I'm presuming that would, if you were to take say a, a you know an old fashioned system like a New York, uh, London, or you know Barcelona, you know you would need to have a quite a significant overhaul of the basic infrastructure for that to be. The case, I'm presuming, rather than you know, if you're in a, a Dubai, it's still developing, you know, you can almost implement that from the get go.
1: True, I mean, that's why I mentioned uh, Tokyo or other Japanese cities that have made this uh, choice of, of actually reducing the amount of water that you bring into a city, therefore, also reducing the infrastructure needed to pump and move water around in pipes by having this reuse in the buildings. Uh, therefore, you have a double use of your water inside of the buildings and therefore have can reduce the amount of infrastructure you need to bring to the cities and to bring to the buildings. Uh, obviously it's easier to do it when you are rethinking a city and we're working with the various partners in Ghent in Belgium or in Helsingborg in Sweden, where they do redevelop certain areas of their harbors to more re- residential uses, and therefore rethink their uh, buildings in that way that they can categorize the water users and do have various circuits of, Gray water and black water, and uh, obviously targeted reuse in each of the uh, new urban areas. But uh, I think that is a challenge we face as we try to make our cities more sustainable, as we try to reduce the carbon footprint of our cities, to readapt the infrastructure and make it more efficient. And the water cycle definitely is one that can be made much more efficient because the basic water infrastructure we have dates back to the Roman times when the Romans built big aqueducts to bring water to the city and then flushed it out as fast as possible, which definitely is not the way to go anymore, this linear system, but to recycle more often and in a smaller scale.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's something that a lot of people don't think about, um, but, it's, but it's sort of more and more you think about it, more and more it makes sense. I mean, you've been in this industry a relatively long time, you know, 20, twenty twenty five years. Um, have you seen now or things that you may be working on or seeing coming into the market as sustainability and environmentalism has become more and more a a, a hot topic politically and socially do you see there's been a a technological advancement you know advancement in um, the systems that you're using and the processes you're using or is it just about actually Reappropriating what was normally used in a, in a different manner?
1: Well, we definitely need a, a new approach, and we are trying that uh, systematically uh, because, uh, as you know, some of the technologies we use are more than 100 years old. I just have to mention the activated sludge process, which was invented in Manchester in 1914. Uh, obviously, that was the time of the steam engine, and things were loud and noisy and, and, and energy consuming. And today, we can do it much more elegantly. And instead of wasting 0.5 kilowatt hours per cubic meter, which is a typical energy need for a wastewater treatment plant, I can show that I can actually harvest from the wastewater enough energy to drive my car. I don't need to put in electricity. And because if you actually make the balance of how much energy is needed to clean all of Europe's wastewater with a conventional approach of 0.5 Kilowatt hours per cubic meter, like activated sludge, you would need two nuclear power plants of a thousand megawatts only to blow in oxygen into wastewater in Europe for five hundred million people. So that obviously is not a very good approach, especially since we now have these mm. new guidance to be carbon free by two thousand fifty. That means we need to systematically reduce any energy use and obviously converting wastewater into energy sources is one elegant and quick way to meet your carbon targets. And uh, I think we can deploy that uh, obviously on small scale, step-by-step, step, not all at once, but we can show you examples where we do that. We now have two other algae plants that are under construction to show that for smaller communities of 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people, where it only needs one hectare for 5,000 people to grow algae and clean the wastewater and drive cars. That is a reasonable approach for many smaller communities that still don't have decent wastewater treatment to plan today.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why you know, we got in contact, some reason why we sort of, you know, connected on this podcast, of course, was your feature in the Brave Blue World and talking about, you know, actually seeing you drive your drive your car that is running on, um, you know, biogas, um, biodiesel uh, that you're creating, um, which I think, of course, for me as a huge car fan, as... You know, being from the UK, which has announced the other week that in 2030, they want every vehicle or every new vehicle to be in some way electrically powered. It doesn't have to be 100% electrically. I believe there's there's a way that they can be some sort of plug-in hybrids, um, as many vehicles are these days. But, you know, this is obviously your technology, your, your way of making the uh, fuel is, is different, but the internal combustion engine is exactly the same. You know, what's your, what's your take on that? You know, do you think what you're doing is perhaps a better solution than, you know, the Tesla, the, the Prius, and all the money that's going into the electric car at this moment?
1: Well, obviously, it's very hard to make a true life cycle analysis of all these systems. Uh, but I know there's a lot of controversy on, on carbon footprint of battery production, on very sensitive metals that are needed for battery Construction and whether there's enough of those minerals like lithium or cobalt, and whether it's actually sustainable to mine these metals, because today the way they are extracted might not be the most environmental or the most social socially compatible. Um, If you look at some of the mining operations, there's a lot of doubt on their ecological impact and on their social consequence, and therefore I don't think it's such so easy to say. Well, we all need to switch to electric cars because the other balance that you hear is that it takes at least 100,000 kilometers to compensate for the carbon footprint of the battery production. So that's why we thought you know, just using waste material as a fuel is definitely something that should be in the mix. It might not be sufficient waste to fuel all our cars, mm. although we can show that if we only convert maybe uh, the si- half the size of Belgium, 15,000 square kilometers, if we convert that to algae cultures in the south of Spain, we would be able to fuel the 30 million cars we have in, your, in Spain. So it's not completely out of whack that you can produce your own biofuel and, and um, be sustainable and not be dependent neither on fossil sources nor on the cobalt or the lithium that is being mined only in a handful of countries.
0: Well, of course, and and you know, switching to everyone having an electric vehicle as well, of course, re- requires a a huge change and mm-hmm. strain on on the infrastructure. Is is there a way that the, what you're doing in this this reuse of the waste that you're producing could almost try and lessen the burden on at an infrastructure level, um, or is that maybe a, a step too far?
1: No, no. I mean, I believe it's it's a solution that can be locally adapted that will cover a part of the problem. Uh, like many uh, buses or fleet vehicles, can be fed by uh, local wastewater treatment plants. As in Sweden, you have that model where it's already practical that most of the public buses in Sweden are being fueled by biomethane from waste materials. And I think that model can be uh, promoted quite a bit. And it's because it's so easy to produce methane in your own backyard using waste materials. And if you look at an agricultural country like Spain there's a lot of waste organic material from agriculture that could be converted to methane and drive a lot of our vehicles without being dependent on the complete change of infrastructure without being dependent on foreign sources of minerals.
0: Yeah no, absolutely and as you say on the agriculture point we discussed briefly before that you know it has uses as, as a fertilizer you know you can use it for so many different applications that People don't think or, or use it for. You know, looking at the, the the new decade and you know all that's happened up to now. What do you see as the maybe the innovations, but also the changes in attitudes, perhaps that you want to see when it comes to this?
1: Well, I think that that's the main the main the main factor. Obviously, people need to be willing to approach things differently. But I think as we are all uh, more and more conscious of climate changes and other threats to our environment. I think uh, there's a much higher willingness to change tack and to adopt new solutions and to try innovations. The main thing obviously is to make clear that the life cycle analysis has been done correctly and that we actually consider the long-term effects of our actions. And that's where still there's a lot of lack of information. You know, what do I do? Do I take a plastic cup? Do I take a paper cup? Which one is the most efficient? Uh, And we don't always have the clear answer to those questions. But there's a lot of uh, willingness to pursue new avenues to make our society more sustainable.
0: And for people who are listening, maybe uh, to close off this podcast on sustainability, what would you say for you, if you give any advice, maybe on a smaller level rather than an infrastructure level, that people could be doing to you know, live more sustainably and reduce their waste. Is there anything that you personally could advise people on the water side of things?
1: Well, I mean, I'm very proud myself because every week I drive up to the local wastewater treatment plant and fill up my car with methane. That, unfortunately, is not yet available to all of us, <laughs> but it will be soon, I hope, if we all uh, uh, support the, the right policies and, and um, don't go blindly the all-electrical route. Um, I know we're working with our colleagues in the waste management business. Uh, They do have garbage trucks fueled with methane. They do have their own um, organic matter present in their plants that can easily fuel their fleet. And buses and police cars and postal services uh, all from waste. So I think, yes, we we can all um, push our politicians towards more sustainable solutions and don't have to rely only on high-tech electrical uh, solutions. But can adapt a lot of the local inventions and um, bring sustainable solutions just by adapting to already well proven principles.
0: Mm. Well, as I say, it's been a fantastic to have you here at CM Conversations talking about sustainability and all the exciting things that you have been doing. It's not quite as uh, fancy as Netflix, but I hope you've enjoyed being part of it nonetheless. So thank you very much, Frank. It's been a pleasure having you on and um, yeah, keep up. What you're doing is fantastic.
1: Thanks, Alex. All the best. So that was my
0: CM conversation with Frank Regala, the Director of Innovation and Technology at Qualia. Personally, I was fascinated by Qualia's pioneering work to help build a more sustainable future and Frank's passion for the water industry. I'd like to thank Frank for his time and his insight I'll be looking forward to seeing how Aqualia get on in the future. Hopefully, more and more companies follow their example and innovate to use and reuse Water Smarter. If you'd like to listen to or read any more of my water content, go to searchingindustrial.com. And for more podcasts like this about the markets of Charlton Morris Serve, please subscribe to CM Conversations. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Alex Mason. Bye for now.